Hello and welcome. The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. And, uh, and here we are, we're, we've begun Advent together. And so ready or not, here we are. And every year for, for five weeks in the Christian calendar, we acknowledge Advent. Advent is a word that literally means arrival. It's, it's us preparing for the arrival of Jesus, the Son of God. So this year, what we've, what we've done is we've, we've carved out these five weeks. This is like the first time that we'll have met in person every week of Advent. And so we are, we're taking this time, and each week of Advent, we're going like to follow the, the Christmas story, follow the Christmas narrative. And this series is titled, He Shall Be Called. Uh, and the reason, is, the reason for that is because centuries before Jesus arrived, way back in the prophet Isaiah, who who wrote, depending on who you ask, anywhere from 500 to 800 years before Jesus. And uh, he, in a particularly hard time in Israel's history, Isaiah said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Okay, Emmanuel is one of the titles, one of the names of Messiah. And then a couple of chapters later, Isaiah says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so what we're going to do over the course of this series, he shall be called, is we're going to consider each of these names, each of these titles of Messiah, and see how he embodied that. Like, how is that reflected in the life and the ministry and the death and resurrection of Jesus? And we're going to hear multiple voices over the course of this series, not just myself. We're going to hear multiple voices from people who have stories to share as they, and, and also challenge us from Scripture to a, a greater Advent experience of hope, and peace, and joy, and love, and a greater experience of of Christ. And today, we're kind of getting this thing started. Today, we're kicking it off and focusing on Jesus as Emmanuel. Okay, Emmanuel, which means, uh, according to Matthew and according to Isaiah, which means God with us. In fact, when we get to Matthew's gospel, it seems like one of the main things that Matthew wants us to understand is that this is that. Like what is happening here in the manger, in the stable, or in the barn, or in the cave, or whatever. whatever what's happening here in the nativity story is the fulfillment of that thing that Isaiah was talking about all those hundreds of years before. Now this is a familiar story, but follow along with me if you would. Uh, we, just, we, we heard it read, and so you understand that in the, in the nativity story, the, things, the parts that are super, super important for us to understand is Mary was pregnant. She, like, that is not up for grabs. Mary was pregnant by the Holy Spirit, and yet she's a virgin. Like, she'd never, she and Joseph were engaged. They hadn't slept together. And Joseph is upset because he he discovers that she's pregnant and it's not his baby. And uh, he's deciding, he's figuring out, how am I going to divorce her uh, in in a respectful way? How am I going to divorce her in a way that doesn't, you know, set her up for attack and judgment and, and harm from, from our neighbors? And then he is visited in a dream by an angel. And the angel says, stay with Mary because this baby is from the Holy Spirit. You are to name him Jesus. And so, in the midst of that narrative, in the midst of, of, 
of all of that, Matthew adds his own interpretation. And so if you've got your Bible open there, or if you've got it open on your, your app, Matthew adds his own interpretation in verses 22 and 23. This isn't something that the angel said or that Joseph said or that Mary said. This is Matthew talking and his interpretation is all this happened or all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Verse 23, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us, which means God with us. So, in other words, we're ta- what we're talking about this morning is the Incarnation, okay? If you've been with Benediction for any amount of time, you've probably heard that word before, the Incarnation. It's, a, it's kind of a theological word. It literally means in flesh. How many of you know what the word uh, carnivore means? What's a carnivore? Stella, can you tell me what a carnivore is? Something that only eats meat. So you hear the carne in there? So in the same way... Jesus' incarnation means he put on meat, he put on flesh, he became tangible, uh, a tangible human. That's what we're talking about in Jesus' incarnation. He is the Word made flesh, the Son of God who became flesh. And there are so many implications for Jesus' incarnation. It means so much. It is so important that theologians have been wrestling over centuries what this, what this means for us. And, and uh, one of those is Tim Keller... And I like his reflection on incarnation. He says, Christianity says, God has been all of the places that you have been. He has been in the darkness you are in now and more. And therefore, you can trust him. You can rely on him because he knows and has the power to comfort, strengthen, and bring you through. Christmas means then that for you and me, there is all the hope in the world. I really like that. Christmas means that for you and me, there is all the hope in the world. And I got to confess, I believe that like on my best days. You know what I'm saying? Like most of the time I believe that. I certainly believe it intellectually, whether I, whether I believe it or experience it or not. I believe that there is hope because of Jesus' incarnation. Uh, this year, it's tough. This year, hope is elusive. It feels distant. It feels, it feels far from me. I feel tired. I feel, you know, after the year we've had, I feel, I feel frustrated. I feel disappointed. I feel like I've failed in some ways. That's, that's kind of what I'm bringing into Advent. I don't know if I'm alone in that, um, but, but that's, that's how I'm doing. And I'm assuming that I'm not alone. And, and uh, so today we're asking, what would it take for us to feel hope again? What would it take for us to have hope rediscovered and renewed by reflecting on this incarnation? How does the incarnation bring hope? And what I want to do today is offer some suggestions. I've got five suggestions, five different ways or five approaches that we're going to take as we reflect on the the, the, uh, incarnation. I think that these five ways will help us to renew hope. I'll just tell you what those are. We're going to reflect on the incarnation uh, biblically, historically, theologically, uh, missionally, and personally, okay, for just a couple minutes each. And I, I sort of think of these as five ways that we can reflect on the incarnation so that hope is restored, okay? So the first way I think we'll, we'll find hope restored is as we reflect on the incarnation biblically. Let's start with biblically. And we start here because in 
three of the four Gospels, there is a nativity story. Actually, just real quick poll. How many of us, do you know which three Gospels of the four have Jesus' nativity in it? Like, how many, which four, which of the three Gospels have Jesus' birth or have Jesus' nativity, his origin story included in it? We've talked about Matthew already. Luke, yes, but not Mark. John. John. We'll come to that in a minute. So you'll see. The scripture's unanimous uh, in this point. And uh, in, f- in fact, what I've done here is I've taken, I've taken the biblical like nativity narrative. I've broken it down into 12 chunks for us. I, in fact, what I would encourage you to do is pull out your phone, maybe take a picture of these, and you can take them with you. So if you take a picture of that, let me just explain what these are. In fact, this is, this is the nativity story chronologically. Because in the Gospels, the story isn't necessarily told chronologically. The, the Gospel writers highlight it in terms of importance, and, but, it, but not necessarily chronologically. So here it is. It begins in the beginning, in John 1. And then in Luke, Luke gives Jesus' genealogy or Jesus' lineage uh, physically, going all the way back to Adam. But Matthew gives a genealogy in Matthew 1, tracing Jesus' uh, genealogy through the, like, his, like his royalty. Like the, this is the royal lineage of Jesus. Okay? So just to answer a question that might come up sometimes, that the reason why there's, there are these discrepancies between Matthew's and Luke's genealogies is because each gospel writer has a different goal in presenting Jesus' lineage there. The fourth chunk is, is where we have some good news announced to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. And then Mary receives this great announcement from the angel in Luke chapter 1. We've got the birth of John the Baptist. And then the eighth part, we've got the birth of Jesus. Then we have a visit of the angels to the shepherds. We've got a visit of Jesus to the temple. Then we've got the visit of the Magi and all of the scandal around that. We've got Herod's revenge in Matthew 2. And then at the end of it all, we've got the return of the Holy Family to Nazareth, where Jesus will begin his young life. So those 12 chunks are the, 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 the nativity story in chronological order. And I put that up because I think we could read each of these chunks. We could read one of these chunks a day in between a minute to five minutes. And if we did that every day, we could get through the entire nativity story twice before Christmas morning. And and my challenge to us, my encouragement, invitation to us this morning is take some time, find some, create some space in your day to sit down. Maybe not, not when you're driving, not when you're in front of Netflix or something like that, but create the space to just be with, with you and your Bible, just you and the Lord. Create space to listen and read and reread and just say to God, God, I'm listening. Speak to your servant through this, through your word, and read it and see what happens. Maybe keep a journal about it. And I really think that the repetition of this is going to be really helpful for us. I think that that repetition uh, of reading the scriptures actually helps to drive it into our hearts so that we can rediscover hope. So that's how I think we'll just rediscover hope through the incarnation biblically. So the next way I want to uh, approach the incarnation is by thinking of it historically. I think that this is really cool. Check this out. Within uh, historic, like, Orthodox Christianity, there is no debate uh, over Jesus' birth story. It is not debated. The, the church, for the last millennia, couple of millennia, has debates over, you know, the 
our atonement theories, debates over, uh, you know, predestination and election and, and heaven and hell and the dating of Jesus' return and debates over baptism. There has never been significant debate over Jesus' nativity, over his birth story. The church has been unanimous that Mary was really pregnant. She actually gave birth to Jesus. Like, that happened. And it has always been unanimous that Mary was a virgin. They hadn't slept together. Like, this was... Like, nobody is saying, yeah, but was Joseph really real? Like, like within orthodoxy, nobody is saying, is, uh, yeah, but is Mary a, a metaphor or something like that? Like, come on. So... I would just encourage us, take some time to consider how unlikely it is, how impossible it is that with all the different theological debates that have raged in the church for the last 2,000 years, Christians have been crystal clear and aligned on the idea that Jesus was born, that Jesus was incarnate. That blows my mind. That blows my mind. It had happened. It's true. This is like a, a reliable historical event, okay? Uh, I think a third way that we might re- recover hope through the b- reflecting on the incarnation is by doing so theologically. Theologically. Here, here's what I mean by that. I think that sometimes, because so much time has passed, get caught up here. So, so much time has passed since the birth of Jesus to now. I think that it can be hard sometimes to appreciate what it means for our lives today. Okay. Um, and so I want to take a minute and reflect on it theologically. Now, in, in uh, literature and in movies, you sometimes hear of a plot device called deus ex machina. Have you ever heard that term before? How many people have ever heard of deus ex machina? Okay. It literally means in Latin, God out of the machine. Okay. And it comes from the old days of Greek stage plays, where you'd have all the actors acting out a story... And things get really complicated and messed up. And, the, and so what would happen is they would bring in a crane and they would, there would be a rope. And at the end of the rope would be an actor playing the role of Zeus or Apollo or Athena or something like that. And the god would fix everything. Because the author of the play couldn't come up with a better way to resolve the, the action. Like that, that was the best ending that they could come up with. That's what a deus ex machina is. That's what we're talking about here. And we could think, I bet, of all kinds of uh, examples of that. Like, of, of, of movies or, or stories we've read or, or come across that include a deus ex machina, that end in, in this way. Some of the examples that came to mind, one was Jurassic Park. So if you've seen Jurassic Park, sorry, spoiler alert here, but uh, you've got, it's a little old, so I think you've had time. Um, you've got, at the end, you've got the good guys who are like hopelessly surrounded by velociraptors. And there is just no way they're going to get out of this, except just at the last possible second, a Tyrannosaurus Rex comes in and eats the Velociraptors and saves the good guys. Well, that's a deus ex machina. Like, there's no reason for that T-Rex to be there. Of all the places on the island he could have been, that's a deus ex machina. Another example that comes to mind is in Star Wars. What, I, what, we, what my generation called Star Wars, what's now called Episode Four. you've got Luke Skywalker in his X-Wing, and he's on a mission to blow up the Death Star. And he's on his own. He's got a couple of TIE fighters on his tail. And his mission seems hopeless. Darth Vader's about to blow him up. And just at the last possible second, you know what happens. Han Solo and Chewbacca 
arrive in the Millennium Falcon, and they, they, he, they've got him covered, he's able to drop the bomb, blow up the Death Star, and, and that's a deus ex machina, because the Millennium Falcon came out of nowhere, shouldn't have been there. Another example that comes to mind is, the, is Return of the King in Lord of the Rings. So in, in Lord of the Rings, which I know a lot of us are fans of, you've got these eagles who show up. And one of the debates in Lord of the Rings lore is like, if the eagles were there, why, where were they all along? Why not, just hop, why not just hitch a ride with the eagles, drop the ring into Mount Doom, and like just ride the eagles, it'd be all fine. Except, so these eagles show up at the end of Return of the King to pick up Frodo and Sam. They help at the Battle of the Black Gate. They just kind of come out of nowhere. Again, that's a deus ex machina. So this is a very common like plot device. Now, why am I talking about this? Some people who are critical of Christianity think that Jesus is a deus ex machina. That Jesus is an example of that. That as, as people a long time ago needed something to give them hope in life, they came up with the story of Jesus and, and he is a deus ex machina. And I just want to, want to say, like theologically, that is wrong for a couple of reasons. Like we don't believe, Christians don't believe that Jesus is just a powerful being who showed up in, just in time. Okay? Theologically speaking, we believe that Jesus is God himself. Theologically speaking, the birth of Jesus, it's not a deus ex machina because Christianity is where God writes himself into the story. It's Jesus writing, Jesus is God writing himself into the story. This is Tolkien writing himself into the story so that he personally takes out the the Dark Lord Sauron. This is George Lucas personally writing himself into Star Wars so that he's on the Death Star at the end of Return of the Jedi and he takes out the Emperor personally. What the scriptures say about Jesus is that the one in the manger is the maker of the universe. Okay? And that is not a deus ex machina. In John chapter 1, we're told that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And that's who was born at Christmas. That's, that's, that's the incarnation. That's a theology of Christmas. And if, I think that if that lands theologically, I think if that lands on us, that'll help us to have hope uh, again. So that's a third way. I think a, a, a fourth way is this here. Uh, we'll come at the incarnation missionally. Missionally. Now, in Benediction Church, we sometimes talk about the, uh, the incarnation as Jesus' choice to uh, cross from one culture into another, to step out of the comfort and the beauty uh, of heaven and into earth. Like Jesus was an ambassador uh, of heaven, right? Because that's what, that's what love does. Like in our sin and in our lostness and blindness and in our brokenness, we longed for someone whose, whose love is so great that he would be willing to, to cross from heaven to earth, to step in and, 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 and be with us. And that happens in the incarnation. That's what we sing about when we sing the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which we, which we, sung, uh, which we sang earlier. It's my favorite Christmas, Christmas hymn because it captures that longing. You know what I'm saying? Here, here, here's some of those words again. <clears throat> o come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom 
captive Israel, that mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. O come, thou rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell thy people save, and give them victory o'er the grave. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. And I love it because when I sing that song, I'm reminded how, of how Jesus left the beauty and the peace and the glory and like the majesty of heaven. And he came into our lonely exile. You know what I'm saying? He, in other words, I think that this is a missionary hymn. This is a missionary hymn. Emmanuel crossed over into our world, taking on our flesh, our mess, our brokenness. And in the same way that Jesus was sent, uh, the Word made flesh, he was sent into our world as the Word incarnate, he sends us into our workplaces, into our families and neighborhoods to incarnate the good news for others. That's what we mean by mission. Okay? And it seems to me, if this idea of the incarnation lands on us, if we really believe that this happens, if we really believe that Jesus was, was, was not too good to be with us, like if he didn't consider himself too holy and too great to come and be with us, we can't possibly live as though we are too good to be with others. Amen? We, we can't possibly, like, isolate ourselves from the world if we believe that Jesus came, left heaven in order to be with us. In fact, what I think would happen, what I predict would happen, is if we would step across the boundary and, and sort of, you know, cross any sort of cultural divide and be with others the way that Jesus did for us, I think that we would experience uh, God's presence and God's hope in a way that we won't if we only uh, stick with ourselves. If we only keep to ourselves. In other words, I think we're going to find hope restored as we imitate Jesus' mission. So that's how we will recover hope missionally. Now, I've offered uh, at this point a whole bunch of suggestions for how we might, how the incarnation might help us recover hope. And uh, there's one more that I want to share. If, if the other ones don't land, perhaps this one will. I'm going to invite us to reflect on Jesus' incarnation personally, in light of our own life, our own story, and things that may or may not, or things that may have happened uh, to us. I bet most of us could remember a time when someone you counted on, someone you, who, who should have uh, been with us, wasn't. I bet a lot of us can remember a time like that. Some of us, that is our experience. I think most of us can relate to that uh, feeling. And I think for some of us, what I understand is that for some of us, Christmas is when we feel that the most. And and whatever your personal story, um, whether it's like mine or whether it's or, or it's different, I know that a lot of us have internalized that we are on our own. It is up to us. God has abandoned us. Our family and friends, everyone has abandoned us. And that is as much as we deserve. And so, whether we have thousands of Facebook friends, whether no matter how many followers we've got on, on Instagram, no matter how admired we are by our neighbors and friends, 
no matter how successful we are, I, what I see is just this, we are in a, a pandemic of loneliness. Okay? You don't understand? We are in just a, a pandemic of, of hopelessness. And then once a year, once a year we pause, we have this promise from God just in time, and he says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God is with us, and we are not alone to navigate this life. God with us is is great news. As I reflect on what God with us means, as I reflect on what Jesus' incarnation means in light of my personal story, I realize a few things. I realize, like, I've got some issues, okay? That's, that's, That's me. And Jesus put on flesh, and he stepped into this world and into my world, into my story too, and he made me his child. And he adopted me into his family, and that's part of my story too. God is with us. Even if other people in our lives who we should have count, been able to, people who we should have been able to count on to be with us, even if they aren't, God with us. Okay? I, I also know that I've messed some things up in my years. Okay? I, I know that. I know that I'm, I'm not a victim here. I know that uh, I have sinned against people and I have burned some bridges. I did that. I'm responsible for that. that. That was me, nobody else. But Jesus put on flesh. God stepped in. He came to earth. He let himself be killed. He died and he rose to forgive sin. And that's my story too. And I know that that's the story of many people gathered here. He is with us. And that is some hope. That is some hope. And so here we are in 2021, and we are tired, and we are frustrated, and we are growing impatient, and yet God has not left us alone. Jesus put on flesh. He is with us. The incarnation is truth. And I don't know any other world religion or any any worldview that makes this claim, but let it land on us The Creator put on flesh. He meets us in our world, in our city. He is with us in our homes, in in our families, in our story. God with us. He knows, He loves, He forgives, He knows all our regrets, He knows all of our failures, all the things we wish we could do over. He knows it all. All the ways that we've been hurt and all the ways that we've hurt others, he knows. And he's still here. God is with us. He's still with us. And I think there's a ton of hope in that. There's a ton of hope in that. I think when we reflect on Jesus as God with us, I feel it deeply when I reflect on it personally and it gives me hope again. I know that this is a hard uh, time. I know that as families, uh, even as a culture, This is a hard season. As the church, it's a hard season. Believe it or not, there have been harder times than this. So yes, this is hard. I want you to imagine what it was like to live about 1,600 years ago uh, during the fall of the Roman Empire, which a lot of people believed was like unbeatable. And um, people across Africa and Europe and Asia, they're desperate for hope. 
The church is growing as the empire is declining, and there had been plagues and pandemics and wars, and they found themselves invaded and conquered by these brutal people who have no respect for their culture or their art and their language and their music and their way of life or any of that stuff. And the people are all scrambling. Like, what are we going to do with this? What, they're absolutely hopeless, feeling absolutely hopeless. And one of the pieces of writing that survived from that time is a Christmas sermon from St. Augustine, uh, who ministered in North Africa. And in that sermon, a Christmas morning sermon, he pleads with people not to give up hope. He reminds them that in the midst of all this mess, in the midst of all this chaos and, and brokenness, there is hope through Jesus' incarnation. And I just think it's such a good word for us in our time. I I wouldn't want to end this message on incarnation, on God with us without sharing this. So listen to this from St. Augustine. The word of the Father by whom all time was created was made flesh and born in time for us. He without whose divine permission no day completes its course wished to have one of these days for his human birth. In the bosom of his Father, he existed before all the cycles of the ages. Born of an earthly mother, he entered on the course of the years on that very day. The maker of man became man, that he, ruler of the stars, might be nourished at the breast. That he, the bread, might be hungry. That he, the fountain, might thirst. That he, the light, might sleep. That he, the way, might be wearied in the journey, that he, the truth, might be accused by false witnesses, that he, the judge of the living and the dead, might be brought to trial by a mortal judge, that he, justice itself, might be condemned by the unjust, that he, discipline personified, might be scourged with a whip, that he, the foundation, might be suspended on a cross, That he, courage incarnate, might be weak, and he, security itself, might be wounded, and he, life itself, might die. Thanks for listening to this message from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Feel free to copy and share these resources, but please don't alter the content in any way. We invite you to visit us online again soon at www.benediction.church for more teaching and information about how you can join us in serving and praying that it would be in Hamilton as it is in heaven.